You've eaten Gotham's wealth, its spirit, but your feast is nearly over. This is not my hole. It's an operating table. And I'm the surgeon. Why aren't you laughing? From this moment on, none of you are safe. Welcome to the Batman Book Club, a podcast that explores the Dark Knight Library. I am your host, Ryan Lauer. You can follow the Batman Book Club on Twitter at TheBatmanBC for updates on the latest episodes, upcoming episodes, polls, and even an upcoming giveaway. Stay tuned. You can also email for questions, comments, concerns, or anything Batman-related at all at TheBatmanBC at gmail.com. The Batman Book Club is also a proud member of the Batman Podcast Network, hosted by BatmanOnFilm.com. And lastly, if you're a fan of the show, feel free to take a minute to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. It'll help spread the word, and the word is panic. Tonight, my guest, as you've probably read in the description, or you just pressed play because you're confident that you're going to enjoy it, is a man that needs no introduction because this is his third time on the Batman Book Club. He's becoming a regular. It is Mr. Minnesota himself, Garrett Greb. Hello, Garrett. It's nice to get comfy. You know, it's like... Everybody's bought, you know, maybe a new pair of jeans and, um, well, no one's wore jeans for like three and a half months at this point. But when you used to wear jeans, you buy a new pair of jeans and you put them on, you know, you'd, you'd buy the right size, right? You knew it was going to fit. But the first time you wore them, it's like, man, they might look okay, but it's not real comfy. And the second time you wear them, you're like, all right, <laughs> okay, jeans, you're coming along. And then like by the third time, those jeans, oh man, those jeans fit like leg gloves. And uh, that's where we are. Third time's the charm. We're in leg glove territory. And I'm just so thrilled that you asked me back. Hi, Ryan. Absolutely. Hi, Garrett. I've saved you a a spot next to me on my uh, makeshift studio while we still get through the uh, post-quarantine, I guess. Yeah, I mean, quarantine-ish. Depends on what state you're in, uh, I suppose. You know, we've got some pals that are down there in Texas where it's just straight up lawless. you know, it just, I guess it depends where you are and when you're listening, right? When you're listening, that plays an impact too. Exactly. Maybe you're lucky yes, enough to be just a couple of weeks into the future and we've gotten by this uh, via some miracle. Who knows? I don't know. I, we, I mean, for crying out loud, it, I don't want to sound cliche. It's 2020. Who the hell knows what's going on tomorrow? Not so, me. Yeah, we don't know. But you've been on episode three. As we probably discussed Dark Victory better than anybody in the entire world has ever discussed Dark Victory. And then you came back and go ahead. Yeah, I just like, I mean, I hope, I hope maybe some more people have listened to that episode. And now they've discussed Dark Victory because we broke it down for them. And they're like, you know what I'd like to do? I'd like to find a nerdy buddy and just chat it up about this book that plays second fiddle to the long Halloween. That's what I'd like to do. I need to find some leg gloves and get... Get some dude over here to talk Batman Dark Victory. And then you came with uh, Peter Vera for episode eight. And we did a fun little random Q&A episode because we had some questions. And I thought, let's bring some let's bring some Bat Boys on and and nerd out a little bit. So, yeah, you're familiar with the formula. You know what's going on. You're a you're very positive in critiquing the Batman Book Club and just saying it's good and you listen. So appreciative. 
And with that, I usually always ask, what is somebody's favorite Batman story? However, you've already answered that question. So yeah. I'm going to ask you, have you been reading anything Batman recently, aside from what we're going to talk about in this episode? Yeah, you know, <clears throat> so um, it's no secret that uh, a lot of us met uh, via the uh, the famous BatmanOnFilm.com website and its associated you know, various media outlets. Uh, I have got a couple books I'm reviewing, and I just uh, read and uh, whipped up my review for the latest issue of Justice League. It's not super Bat-centric. Um, there's some Bat stuff in it, um, but I thought it was it was very nice, very nice. Uh, and then Batman Superman is another title that I'm that I'm reading. And then everybody reads like you know your regular Batman and Detective, so nothing there. But you know, a pal of mine. Uh, a while back now, actually, wrote a review uh, for a definitive history of the Dark Knight uh, in movies and you know various media. Uh, Batman, maybe you would know the title. I can't remember off the top of my head because you were that young man. And I <sighs> just put in an order on Amazon.com. <sighs> so I shall be reading this big old hardcover coffee. It's probably like coffee table book, right? You'd call it that, wouldn't you? It's It's a coffee table. Yeah, he's a beast, it's that right? Big. Batman, the definitive history of the Dark Knight in comics, film, and more, written by Andrew Farrago. And you know what? Thank you so much, because that book is insanely awesome, covers everything for over in every medium of Batman. And I was fortunate enough that I got to interview the author for Batman on film. Our pal Ryan Haas from Batman on film uh, went to New York Comic Con and interviewed him in person. And yeah, that's just... I know, I know the price is a little like, whoa, yeah. Yeah. it's, it's in the 60, the mid sixties range. Okay. That's expensive for a book, but I just, if you have the money and you're a fan, it's, you're, you're not going to be disappointed. And Gary, Ryan, do we have a moment for just a, like a, a bit of a personal bit about this so like here's yeah, like I, I i texted you earlier and i said hey man i'm thinking about buying this um you had posted something online i remember i remembered when you wrote the review to begin with i'm like i'm gonna go back read this review you know i didn't shell out the coin back in the day but now i feel like i've got more time on my hands and i've rearranged our uh you know bookshelves a couple times and i've got i've got room for something nice and then i also realized that um i remember like six weeks ago a coffee table book was delivered to my house. And if, if for anybody that follows me, I don't expect that most of your listeners do, but if you do, thanks. Um, I've got a bunch of kids. I've got four boys. So my wife is um, the one lady of the house. And so it's me, four little dudes, and then a uh, grown woman. And this coffee table book arrives at my house and it is like, uh, I don't know, 50 years of Coco Chanel art and print stuff. And it's this, I'm like, what is this? She's like, it's a coffee table book. I'm like, not in this house. It isn't like, I don't understand how this fits in this home. And she's like, well, I like it and it looks nice. And I deserve to have something feminine. I'm like, fair enough you do. But in my mind, I'm like, it's going to be so funny when she walks in the door and I have this Coco Chanel coffee table book swapped out for Batman, the definitive history of the dark Knight <laughs> movies. And just to like, wait a minute. So I feel like I'm really getting my money's worth out of it with that, you know, $66 or whatever it was on Amazon. But anyway, long story no, short, not, I will be reading I'm not that. Falling in, I'm not falling into the whole like, oh, oh, did you not ask permission? But does she know that you placed the order? 
No, 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 no. This will be a surprise. So that will be awesome. Yeah, that just one day you just switch it, say yeah. nothing. Yeah, and she just thinks see it, 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 she thinks it's some sort of like hot couture, you know, photo album book, and then all of a sudden it's just Batman punching dudes in the face. It's gonna be <laughs> sweet. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh well, congratulations. I don't, I don't see you being disappointed. Now the so. book of the book of choice tonight that you chose uh, that we can see from the title of this episode is Batman Earth One Volume One, released in 2012, written by Jeff Johns, drawn by Gary Frank, a team that comic book readers should be very familiar with because they've written Superman Secret Origin, Superman Brainiac, most recently Doomsday Clock. Uh, they're a a kind of a dynamic duo, I guess, if you would. And it's following the Earth One series of stories. So prior to that was Superman Earth One. And I think since there's been Wonder Woman Earth One, like a couple volumes, there's been, I think, Teen Titans, Mm -hmm. a couple volumes. And now I think there's Green Lantern, a couple volumes. It's almost just like a, a contained kind of reboot, but it's in its own Earth One stories a retelling of origins and then just going from there. So Garrett, I guess I should say if somebody hasn't read it for, if they haven't read it and they're listening, it's not available on the DC universe app, which is too bad, but it's available to buy trade paperback and hardcover relatively cheap. Um, So buy it and then come back and listen, or we'll just spoil it for you here. But Garrett, why did you choose Batman earth one volume one? You know, it's funny because you're going to hear this for the first time, Ryan. I actually I actually chose this book because I was curious to see with what we have learned about the Batman so far, what Ooh. I what we would potentially see in revisiting this book that I thought as my my little wheels in my brain were spinning around as we had heard bits and pieces about the Batman, I thought, you know, um <clears throat> I think this might have a little Earth One juice to it. And I thought it would be fun to revisit. I also chose it because it's a it's a book that I'm fairly uh ambivalent on. Um I don't wanna I don't want to uh you know let the cat out of the bag too early, but there's some stuff I very, very much like in this. And there's some stuff that I say, oh boy, that is just not my brand of seltzer water. And uh and I, I, you know, in revisiting it and planning out and writing my little notes out, I found that to be true. But as you mentioned earlier, I like to be positive about things and um, I wouldn't want to talk about something I didn't enjoy. There's just some little little pieces to pull apart a little bit more than uh, some of my other favorite Batman stories have. So a kind of myriad of reasons. Um, but I'm, I'm very excited to hear what you think because you haven't shared too much about it yet with me. No, I've been I've been quiet and sometimes purposely. Uh, not that I am holding up the world in anticipation, you know, like what does Ryan think? What does he think? But I think for the most part, I do. I definitely like the story. Um, maybe tiptoe to really like, but I don't really know if I can say that until after we get done talking about it. Cause kind of, as you've said, there's things I like and then things I'm kind of like, Huh, but I haven't spent enough time to really think, okay, is my hesitation because, okay, that works? Or like, you know what? I really, I just don't like that choice. And 
when we hit upon upon a couple things because I don't I don't think we for this one it's a relatively quick read so right. I think benefits of those kind of stories for me are that I'm going to read them over like I'm going to reread them a lot because it's not a huge time commitment so Batman Year One is not my favorite Batman story but I've read that one. I mean, I've read The Long Halloween more than anything. <laughs> Surprise. But no. year one. If you're is shocked, not that you haven't been listening. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but year one's not that far behind because year one is four issues and that's it. And so I think the the benefit of these Earth One books is it's, I don't know, I think it teeters around like 130 to 150 pages, something like that. And it is like two sittings. If you've got the time, it's like it could be two sittings. Heck, it could even be one sitting. It's a, cause it's it kind a of one sitting by. with a bathroom break is what it is. Yeah. And so that's a strength that I can reread it a lot. And if I didn't like it, I wouldn't waste my time rereading it. So I think it has that going for it. It's mainly just if I've, I've long. Jeff Johns has included up to the point of this, Jeff Johns had included Batman in stories that he'd written, but he has never taken on a Batman book. And so Batman being my favorite uh, character, I was always really excited. To me, I was kind of like, yeah, Jeff Johns, you know, he's good with Green Lantern and Flash <laughs> yeah. and, and JSA and just blah, blah, blah. OK, whatever. But he has not proven himself until he writes a Batman book. So when this was announced, I was extremely excited. Uh. I think Superman Secret Origins came out before this, but I didn't read it until after this. Maybe. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah it, it was after this. It came out first. Okay. Um, but, yeah, so just with this story, it's basically just trying to... Re- it's doing an updated year one. It's retelling an origin. And sometimes I think that already... We sound old now in a generation of remakes and reboots when certain stories okay a star is born has there's been four movies the first time they remade that movie there were probably people like why would they remake this the third time they made it why would they remake this the the most recent time why would they you know it's it happens but for me i think that's almost anybody trying to redo the origin of year one because year one has such an impact and is the i think the definitive batman origin story there's almost already like eh, approach to it eh, you know you, you get almost there and the thing is you know this so the earth one what's interesting about earth one is i wouldn't categorize it as a reboot or a retelling as much as it is a a fairly large scale reimagination and and sometimes we we hear that you know for for us film nerds movie dorks um, the reimagination is like well we don't want to remake it because we'd like to pretend that it's a new approach but we're dusting off the same old stuff here and, yeah. and to some levels that's true um, a bit with Batman Earth One but on other levels like it is clearly doing something different with somewhat known elements or very known elements. Um, but, but really kind of recrafting the history behind it, you know, the actions during it and, and, and likely giving us a view on different implications for what's going to come from it, which is, that makes it interesting. I think that adds, um, validity. Um, you know, I've spoken before at length about how much I love Superman and how 
you know, I feel like Batman and Superman are my are, are my two kids and I can't actually really choose a favorite, but I always kind of like Batman a little bit more, but I don't really like to say it out loud. Um, there's so many retellings of the Superman origin. Um, and, you know, Earth One is a little bit different, obviously, but um, it's almost like too much. There's almost too much of that. I don't feel that way about this book because you kind of get to approach it as this entire separate take on Batman. Once you get past the fact that some of the names, most of the names are the same. And eventually at some point, um, and even from the beginning, the costume is largely familiar, but this is a different approach to Batman. I think it's just different enough that it doesn't, it's you don't get into origin retelling fatigue once you start reading it maybe before you buy it you think you might not you know really want to but once you get into it it's different enough that you're there and you kind of get buckled in and you you go along for the ride yeah so let's just start with that of the origin itself we get a i think it doesn't dwell too much on oh here's Bruce during the day working out. Then here's Bruce at night and he tests out one of the weapons. And then we're back in the day again where he's trying to come up with plans of something. And then we're back here at night. I think it moves along and it includes a lot of him already kind of in the suit. We don't waste a ton of time of retelling uh, who the bat, who he is and how he came to be sort of, but we do get the flashback of, of course the Wayne murders and we get the the instant uh, an introduction to Alfred and his relationship to the Waynes, and like the I'm trying to think of like how best to describe like how it is different, but it still hits the same tropes. You know, like we we haven't hadn't really experienced like Alfred as an outsider coming in. It's always he's already there. He's already in Wayne Manor. He's already been established and he, Bruce already knows him. So that's a, that's a different angle here. The Bruce's um, moment of wanting to become a bat is I'll say it right now. I don't really like this version because I think it's kind of weak. We have the, the iconic he's bleeding in the study. A bat breaks in through the window I shall become a bat moment. The aha moment here. It's like, he's a kid. He goes to his parents' mausoleum. Bats fly out. He runs. And then he sees, uh, the suit from 89. Oh my God. That's what I was going to say. The king of the wicker people. I know. Yeah, totally. And then it's like, Oh, that's the, I shall become a bat moment. Yeah. It's that's weak. I don't know. It's a bit different. So there's a lot to unpack in the in the very first few pages of this thing. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it is it is uh, you get a James Bond esque cold open without the James Bond esque smoothness. I mean, this is mm-hmm. a, a Batman that, um, you know, it opens with him, you know, chasing somebody down across rooftops. And um, I think, you know, John's does this kind of clever, smart thing where Uh, The reader expects to see Batman make a leap across two buildings and sort of take down a criminal with a rolling tackle and subdue him. And instead he misses the damn building ledge and then, you know, bangs himself on an air conditioning unit and falls to the ground. So right away 
you know that something's different, right? Like this mm-hmm. is not this is not the Batman. This is not Morrison's Bat God. You know, this isn't the um, Batman in his prime that we saw in the new 52, you know, not to mention, you know, 80 plus other years of Batman storytelling. But this isn't that Batman. This is something else. And it's a fallible Batman. It is a, uh, interestingly enough, as we talk about it, uh, as we get through the story more, it's a fairly unskilled Batman in a number of ways. And that's super interesting to me. Um, It's an interesting choice. Now, whether or not that works for you is a, is another question, but it's clearly John's wanting to do something different. And I can appreciate that. And, and you're right. This thing moves around, moves along at a breakneck pace because very shortly after that, you get um, the back in time story of here's, here's Thomas Wayne. Here's um, Martha Arkham Wayne. Uh, yeah. Here is Alfred outsider arriving and meeting the family for the first time and establishing backstory of um, being kind of old war buddies with Thomas. And then boom, we're on our way to the theater and we all know how that ends. So it moves fast. And I think, I think it might be a victim of moving a bit too fast because it almost relies on our familiarity of the core storytelling in the non-new approach to the origin to get the emotional pathos payoff of this origin. You know what I mean? Like it almost it almost requires a level of pre-reading and knowledge of other source material to to move that fast through the early pages of this book, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think I think so. It it requires that and then also like if you've done that reading and this is this isn't an Elseworld story, but I think it's it can be related to in the fact of almost if you have a little pessimistic viewing, you're almost like, oh, this is different. Oh, look at that. How can we make this different? Oh, how can we make this different? But the whole point of this book is to make sure that everything's different. Otherwise, why why bother? So I I didn't dislike the Alfred Alfred's totally different here than Oh boy. I can think of anything in comics beforehand. And I think this is the approach that uh post the Dark Knight Rises the Alfreds have have taken in both the Gotham TV series and then also I think Jeremy Irons displays this a little bit a little right. bit better in Batman vs Superman and then my guess for Robert Pattinson's the Batman, just because Andy Serkis playing Alfred, he doesn't fit the, I'm an old Butler type role. He fits. Oh, he's still young. He's still, what do you want to say? He's still in really good shape. He's, I just have a feeling he's going to do more than just serve uh, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Yeah, he, you're right. It, it particularly, I was going to say our live action Alfreds have tended in this direction. Um, and a little bit younger, a little bit scrappier, a little bit rougher around the edges, not your classic gentleman's gentleman, um, but more so of this, uh, this dude that can crank a wrench on the Batmobile and can, uh, you know, throw down some fisticuffs as needed or when Bruce needs to be trained. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't know, I might be wrong here. I've read a lot of comic books, but I certainly miss some stuff here and there. I don't know when I saw, I don't remember seeing Alfred in that light prior to Earth One. Mm-mm. I, I don't remember that either. And full fledged goatee that, versus thin little mustachio. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a difference. 
Exactly. Uh, but I don't mind it either. I think it just it depends on the story. Because in some versions, like in live action, Michael Goff, he's just he's a warm blanket. He is mm. a very comfortable Alfred. Oh. I, I love that guy. And He's then Michael Caine did. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Uh, Michael Caine was similar, but different. And that's my favorite version on screen. But Jeremy Irons, I really liked his version of I'm an ally, not a servant. I like that approach. And that relates to this version. So it was, it never bothered me of the difference uh, when he met, when he, reunites with the Waynes or so to speak reunites with Thomas Wayne. And then I think he meets Martha and then Bruce in which I'm just really glad that the story made them positive people because oh, yeah. I think a whole story, the story of Batman works for me better when the Waynes are the good people, because that's such a devastating blow when they ultimately get killed. You know, if they're, if they're a-holes, then like, I don't know, why would you care? Oh, uh, rich people. Yeah, they were shitty people. Uh, they got killed. Okay. But here, he's Thomas is running for mayor. Martha's with him, and that's the whole the whole setup. But though they don't get a much screen time, I, I have, like, they just give off, like, a positive vibe. And I'm really glad that's the direction that uh, the team went with. Yeah, I agree entirely. And it's funny you say screen time because this does have a very cinematic quality, uh, both in the format and being a, you know, hour and 15 minute read, maybe an hour and a half read if really soaking in the panels. Um, Mm -hmm. But I agree entirely because it's important for us uh, as the reader to um, we need to share emotion with Bruce. It can't just be about Bruce's pain. It has to be about the pain that we feel and empathize for Bruce. And it's very hard to do that. Uh, for me, at least, uh, you know, when, when you get some of the stories that talk about, um, or want to portray Thomas Wayne as being a real dick. Right. So, um, I'm, I'm glad that they did go with them as this positive shining light because it's a through line to, although we don't always see it in this book, interestingly enough, um, Bruce being a decent person that's had good um, parenting and has these values instilled in him that it's important to help. And I think it's it's very apropos for the time that we're in and a lot of the social conversations that we're having that you see people with privilege that are using it uh, to better their communities. Um, mm-hmm. That's heroic. Uh, if they were not and if they were... Um, you know, just rich people doing rich people stuff. You know, I'm not here to say there's anything wrong with that, but I wouldn't call it heroic. Instead, you get a, a Thomas and Martha that are there trying to make a difference. And it leaves a bit of a legacy for Bruce to grow up into, even if he, um, you know, quite literally skins his knees on the way. Yeah. So you brought up Bruce. So as we kind of make our way through the story, I think I can, well, you can comment on characters and Bruce definitely for me here. I think I have an issue with Bruce in this one. Yeah. Because from the get, like as a child, he just seems like a brat. Total brat. And something, something strikes, like it's uncomfortable for me that that's Bruce Wayne because it works for me yet again that he is good and he just admires his parents so much and loves his parents. And this is the, their death sets off this, you know, this path. And it it just seems more effective when he is 
composed and not just like a little ass, you yeah, know? And I think here we get, we get that from the get go. Yeah. He's less sympathetic here for sure. Um, sort of from the beginning, he's this, you know, I, I have a nearly eight year old. I know how they're like, you know, they, mm-hmm. you're, 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 I one day was many years ago, an eight year old. Um, you know, they, they're wild. They kind of want what they want. They don't understand why they can't have the things they're not supposed to have. So I get it. It's humanizing and, and that's great too. And I think that's what they're going for here, but we sort of do only get bat Br- or brat Bruce, uh, <laughs> brat where brat he Bruce. wants, that's right. what they say. Brat Bruce, brat yeah. Bruce, brat Bruce. <laughs> and, and also bat Bruce just kind of makes sense. Um, yeah, but you know, it's, it's, it's him that wants to go to the movie uh, he wants to go now. He doesn't want to, you know, stay at this party. He wants to run around, and um, then you know the power goes out, uh, and he wants to run and go to another theater, even though his parents are saying no, and they're worried for different reasons. But he doesn't listen, and then he runs out and says, "Hey, look out, Mister! I'm the richest kid in Gotham. I can do whatever I want." And then it's like, bam, bam, and now it's sad. You know, like it just, and it feels like thematically. Um, you know, in other interpretations of the origin, it's sort of this through line of Bruce's fear that causes them to lo- leave the theater. And then fear becomes his weapon over time. He's weaponizing the thing that was his weakness that caused his pain. And here he's just kind of a brat that wanted to see a movie. And that doesn't quite work as well for me. Um, so I, I get that. And, you know, and, and I think... It's interesting, and the difference, and he might as well not bury the leaks. I thought I'd talk about this later. I have, uh, as I've reread this a number of times now, um, there's there's one side of me that says, yeah, oh, man, this isn't my fave, because I don't know that it fits my Batman sensibilities. And then there's another side of me that says, this actually works really well within the confines of the story Johns is telling. Like if someone handed him a Blake a blank page and said, you know, it's Batman, but do with it as you will. The Bruce we get as an adult is rough around the edges. He's angry. He is undisciplined. And it lines up pretty well with the bratty kid that just wanted to run out to see the theater, to go to a different theater when the movie was still playing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And I think it, so I fully agree. And in to say of brat Bruce, brat Bruce, uh, I'm going to be saying that tonight when I'm saying that Brat Bruce, Brat Bruce, Brat Bruce. But the, we've seen that before in other comics, but I think they, they also give you a follow-up of one of the parents, like giving a teaching lesson. And right. then you see the remorse that Bruce has, you know, for the way that he acted and the things that he thought of and stuff. So it's like, I don't mind that an eight year old or a 10 year old has a bratty moment because it's like, we've all been there. We've seen it. We see it now. We, looking back when we were that age we were like oh yeah definitely i had my moments that doesn't bother me but it helps build your it helps build up the wanes as people seeing that they you know they teach bruce as you know good parents should so that only works and here we don't get that and i'm not saying that we're missing pages and panels of them being like now now bruce you shouldn't you shouldn't be acting like that or anything it just it affects bruce as a character that I I don't know. I almost want a flashpoint origin here where he just he shoots Bruce instead, you know? <laughs> like <laughs> yeah, right. The birth of Thomas Wayne Batman or something. And I think it kind of carries over it gives John some place to go with Bruce for the story. 
because the the way he ends and then in in volume two of this book, he's a better Bruce Wayne than in this one. So it gives him some place to go, but it carries over to him as an adult, too, to where it's like, you know, think of uh, other origin stories. I was rooting for Bruce Wayne in all four issues of year one. I was rooting for Bruce Wayne in the entire movie of Batman Begins in Batman Earth one volume one. I'm rooting for him in the suit because he's going after the bad guy. And I think that's kind of what differentiates my opinion of him in this compared to other other iterations. And I, I'm still conflicted. I don't know if that's good or not. Yeah, and I think that goes back to a little bit of what I was saying around it almost requires previous knowledge. And no one's probably reading this that doesn't already know Batman and read Batman. Yeah. But it, it almost it almost the story itself almost asks too much of the reader to go in with this like backlog of previous information to make the emotional connections to want Bruce to really, really not just because he's better than the bad guys, but to really be in his corner and feel for him and feel his pain and feel his mission and find valor in it. And you don't get that. And that's a little bit of the struggle. I, you know, I was going to make this point later because it, it, it relates to a number of the things I'm sure we'll talk about as we go on. This is a meaner Jeff Johns writing than I think we're typically used to seeing. Yep. This, this is a, this is Jeff Johns is writing this almost as if somebody that, um, you know, is, it's almost like a, you know, without being so sardonic and biting as a Mark Miller, um, it, it, it's a meaner Jeff Johns. It's the only way I can think about it. Like there is a bite to these characters. There is a, there is a negative quality that typically I don't associate with Johns and his, you know, hope and big smiles and certainly nothing like you saw in Superman origins that came before this. Mm-hmm. So it, it's interesting to see that play out. Um, but it's also like, I'm not going to dump on that because I think, you know, for creative talents to flex their, um, or sort of stretch their wings, I should say, is a good thing. And overall, I find it to be effective in the story. But the dissonance between this and the, what I would expect from Johns and what I expect from Batman is probably where I struggled with this book a little bit on the first couple of readings. And I've grown to appreciate it more since then. I'm glad that you said mean because I honestly thought about that the other day. And it's just like in the Batman vs. Superman Ultimate Edition, there's a kind of mean in him, yeah. you know, and I think... That's kind of required, I think, because at least that's good that Johns is approaching this character with a different approach than with Green Lantern and Flash, because he can go for warmer, brighter approach for those two characters. And though. Like we're still in that world of DC, it's like now Batman's story just I don't know, I prefer it's got to be that different approach, a little a darker approach, a mature approach. And so. He stepped up in in that way for sure. Yeah, and Gary Frank does the same thing. We've talked about Johns a lot, but the art from Frank here too is, it is, um, I mean, he is a, a, an incredibly talented penciler. I mean, his artwork mm-hmm. is just beautiful to look at. But, you know, from the suit design uh, to the way that Gotham's portrayed, uh, the level of dirt, you know, the seams on the costume, the way that the the cape tugs at the fabric, you know, on on you know on the upper body chest, you know, piece of the bat suit. Um, to you know, as we get in, we'll talk about Penguin. I'm sure um, some of the ways that that characters are just dis- depicted is just like ugly 
and Frank is such like, I think of his pencils as having such like a beautiful quality to them in a lot mm-hmm. of his works that to see the ugliness in this story from Frank and then the meanness from John's, it is something they are doing something here <laughs> and, and you got, you got to respect it, man. They, I mean, sometimes when you swing hard, they're not all home runs, but man, it sure makes baseball more fun. It's, it's a clean, dirty. Sure. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I think for, if for sure with this story and I think Frank has such a, a talent for eyes. Like always in his work, I think the eyes of characters, they just, they pop. He makes them pop. And uh, it's weird to focus on that. But yeah, it, it, it gets me every time. Well, you get Batman without the lenses. You get, uh, you get some very close up on villains and their eyes, you know, some shock and victims uh, or, or potential victims in their eyes. So yeah, you're absolutely right. That is something that's pretty prevalent here. So we can come back to Bruce as we get through the story a little bit more, but I want to move on to another, I'd say maybe outside of Bruce and Alfred, the next character could maybe be Jim Gordon. Yeah. You think he'd be next on the call sheet? Yeah. Well, Jimmy. Yeah. Let's talk about James. Well, Jim and his life is a going according to plan. No, this is, this is almost like, like I can see the influences of Batman Begins on this story. And then I could see that Jeff John said, oh, yeah, let's do Jim Gordon and Batman Begins. But the exact opposite. Sure. Because you get a Jim Gordon who I think in his introductory uh, panels, you're kind of putting together what's going on. But then you kind of see that he is just turning a blind eye to the corruption of the GCPD, which is not the Jim Gordon that we all know and love. No, and he, uh, you know, you learn a little bit more about the motivations and why, but you're right. It's almost as if um, John said, hey, what if Flask was Gordon? You know, like, like, what if, like, not to the same level, I'm going to steal money out of the falafel guy's cart. But um, what if, what if, what if Jimbo was the guy that, you know, we don't like and is dirty. And then like, you know, juxtapose that not to jump ahead. And I don't know that we'll spend a ton of time on Bullock, but um, it's definitely a different James Gordon, you know, younger in his career. You know, we meet Detective Gordon here uh, and Detective Gordon isn't really interested in, um, you know, rocking the boat, so to speak. Uh, The thug Axel, you know, it's he's not going to take down Mm -hmm. that guy on his own street corner because reasons and um you know he's not somebody you can root for right away and I- i'd say i'd say even later you know when y- you understand why gordon takes some actions that um are probably less than legal uh to to solve a problem <laughs> that's near and dear to his heart there's a scene with him and crowbar in his hands about to about to beat some ass that was like oh boy that's a that's a that's a new Jim Gordon for you right there. But um, yeah, you know, it's, it's not so much mean as it is um, just sort of like uh, despondent, right? Like, yeah, like almost is, has accepted this, this evil in the world and is resigned that he's not able to make the impact that maybe he would have wanted to make earlier in his career or in different iterations of the character. I think also, so the lesson of Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy is something that Johns, I think, can use as inspiration here. Uh, 
because what I think of with this story is you've got Batman putting on the mask to protect from the people that he knows and cares about. Gordon, on the other hand, isn't wearing a mask and he's almost the, well, here's the example of if the bad guys know who you are. Cause we learned that sure. something happened or I think it was a car crash quote yeah. unquote, quote that unquote. killed Gordon's wife. And then we realize we're introduced uh, on this, like the, the next page of his introduction to Barbara Gordon. So you're piecing it together of, Oh, Gordon, he tried to stand up uh, for what's right. And he lost his wife. And now they they have his, his daughter. Like, what do you want to say? Um, yeah. She's like virtually held hostage. Right. Until she is actually yeah. held hostage. It's so exactly. interesting. You said this because I was trying to put my finger on, on you know thematically what was going on here um these guys are both wearing masks right like bruce mm-hmm. is wearing a literal mask as, when he starts going out as batman jim gordon's wearing a mask of being a dirty cop right or not a dirty cop but a um a, a cop, blind not, cop yeah blind cop blind eye you know just sort of like com- maybe not quite complicit but yeah i'd say yeah straight up complicit man like he mm-hmm. is having to act in a way that is contrary to his true nature. Yeah. So in that he is, he is putting on this mask that doesn't represent his actual ideals or what he wanted to be as a police officer. But we don't, we don't get that until later in the story. You know, there's sort of this, you know, Axel, I think the quote is like, you know, you teach your partner what's up in Gotham or something, or, you know, there, there's going to be another accident. Um, and it's kind of left at that until later in the book. But um, you know, as Bruce gets more comfortable with his mask, as the story goes on, Gordon starts taking his off and their true mm-hmm. nature, you know, their, their higher, their higher level of being is, um, kind of brought to the forefront for each character as the story progresses. And I'm glad that they bring in kind of like for us, it's our character represents us. They bring in the new, the new one and it's a Harvey Bullock. Yeah. Slim and, and trim, handsome Harvey Bullock. <laughs> handsome devil, big Hollywood hotshot who does host the detective series of, um, where he goes to Gotham city about a murder, but actually it was a back lot in, in California. And I'll say it now. I think maybe a reason that I'm conflicted with this book a little bit, like I said, I like it. To what extent, I'm not sure. Um, but I like it. It's because there's nobody that I just like. I love their character. No, man. Yeah. Maybe Barbara's the most wholesome. But I really dig this Harvey Bullock. Hmm. And I don't know if anybody else does or not. Because I find him. He's entertaining in his introduction. The big, you know, Hollywood hotshot and all of that. And I just like the in a way almost uh I'm gonna say his journey if you will to oh, yeah. you know, be a little over dramatic with it and how it's even creepy of Barbara walks by their window and he's even like hey yourself there sweetheart and all that because you just don't like Bullock no like from the from the get-go but it is that that meeting with Axel where you see Bullock doesn't hesitate to jump out of the car to stand up for what's right and so it's kind of like Oh, okay. There's a little bit more to this guy than what 
what's being being seen here and he's the one when gordon updates him on how things are run with gcpd bullock's kind of like what the hell this isn't this isn't right and so therefore i'm like quickly okay yeah he was kind of a douche but like he's genuinely a guy that wants like is going for the right thing and i think that's why i jumped on board with liking him so much yeah he is a he is a um he is a bit of a white knight that's aware of his white knight status, right? Like he is this mm-hmm. big cheesy smile guy and he wants to do the right thing and he's not afraid to pat himself on the back for doing the right thing. So, you know, his, his actions, I think, um, you know, creepy towards women throughout the book, but then also, um, you know, bound and determined to stop crime and, you know, wants to solve things, even if there's self, some self-interest, but, you know, you know, to, to think about his, his storyline or his journey. Um, what I really liked that John's did with the character is he sets him up as like this fancy pants, hot shot, egotistical, you know, D bag, but that, mm-hmm. that is, um, you know, kind of in some ways full of hot air, but also with, you know, full of hopes and dreams and aspirations and Gotham just kicks the snot out of him for it. It just runs this dude through the ringer from his disillusion of the police force to what he's able to get done to the negative impacts for him trying to do the right thing to the horror and disgust of seeing, you know, the pure evil of the serial killer, you know, birthday boy. Um, And it breaks him down, turns him to booze. And at the end of the uh, end of the story, end of volume one, you get an idea of like, oh shoot, that's how Bullock became Bullock, you know? And it's, 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 I think it, it heightens the despair and the nature of Gotham by having it have a character that it destroys and it can't be Bruce. Gotham can't destroy Bruce because otherwise who's our hero, you know? And it can't be Gordon because otherwise who's our ally and who's our, Who's our who's our helper and who's our friend and who's the partner that's going to join on this journey? So it can't be those two guys. They have to pull out of the shit that is Gotham City. But Bullock is our way to see this is what this city does to people. And isn't it disgusting? Mm hmm. Exactly. And he's the one that kind of pulls Gordon into the the role that we know and appreciate. And I like I like that bit a little bit too you know he what do you want to say um unknowingly he, unknowingly he uh does that i guess you know call, it's just he, by pure accident <laughs> yeah he calls him into action he's the impetus for for gordon kind of getting shaken out of this you know semi-catatonic state that he's been in right like gordon can't just play it safe and turn a blind eye and not take action out of this like self-preservation mode bullock dumbasses his gordon into a situation where he has no other choice but to snap out of it and once he snaps out of it he's mad as hell and it seems like you know there's there's a scene towards the end of the book where he gets back uh, i think he brings axel back in and um i don't know which character tells him like you can't arrest him he's like like hell i can't and he's got this like 
righteous anger in him. And I think between the art and the writing, you can tell that Gordon's not just mad at the complacency of these other officers. He's been, he's also mad at the complacency that he's had himself and it's, he's sick of it and it's time to take some action and it propels him into the Gordon that we're going to be more familiar with. Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. And you mentioned the birthday boy, which I guess like, I guess that's the main villain, but we've been teased about who was running against Thomas Wayne as mayor. And we keep hearing mayor, mayor and whoever this bad guy is. And this almost jumped out to me the most as, Oh yeah, gotta be different. But by golly, Oswald Cobblepot finally is Gotham city's mayor. He is. He, so you know, it, him. it took 50 years or, or maybe more, not quite 50 years, but uh, yeah, he, he, he's he, not only is he the mayor, he's been in the the incumbent mayor for you know, decades, apparently, at this point. So very interesting that, that it was one of the things that um, jump out to me is that John's is is pulling stuff. You know, I think there's no way that the uh, like samurai esque type statue costume is a pull from Batman 89. I don't mm-hmm. think there's any question that, you know, Penguin as the mayor um, is, you know, from the 66 series, uh, there, there's, um, some element of, of begins in here. So he's pulling from a pretty wide selection of storytelling here. And this is one that I thought worked the best. I, I, I really enjoyed this interpretation of Penguin, uh, because on his surface, you, you sort of get like the, um, Gosh, the no man's land kind of grimy cockney arms dealer. Uh, and then before that, you just have kind of like the buffoonish little round tummied imp penguin of the 80s and 70s kind of right. Um, mm-hmm. it, but and then you get what you get in the Arkham game, which is a little bit of the no man's land type penguin. Uh, but this is a penguin that was like, all right, so there's a penguin suit, right? He's this fancy pants, you know, um, black tie event mayor that is, you know, you know, feasting off of Gotham and is totally corrupt and then is completely vicious and, um, you know, not only not afraid to take out any threats, but almost, you know, relishes in it and keeps a serial killer on his payroll. Uh, that for me, this was one of the reimaginings that I thought like, dang, this one worked. This one worked really well for me. Yeah, because I've, I mean, still to this day, I don't exactly get excited if Penguin is the lead villain of something. Yeah, same. He, he he doesn't get me too excited. And Burgess Meredith in the 60 series, he can like he can get on my nerves kind of quick. And I love Danny DeVito's Penguin. It was interesting to me. I don't mind it at all. Well, and, you, and, everything. <laughs> and, and that's, you know, that's one of the th- things I was referencing earlier with Frank's artwork where it just gets flat out ugly in some places. There is a, there's a full page of uh, Oswald Cobblepot sort of in his mayor room. I believe it's after, you know, Batman has crashed the party and he is drinking this goblet of wine. It's like two pages and spilling all down the front of his you know shirt while he's basically sacrificing a little girl to this serial killer and just ripping apart, you know, whatever meats on his plate and licking his fingers. And you see his, 
his teeth and his gums. And it's just gross. It's just gross. And you think about DeVito eating the fish, right? And the, 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 you know, there's no um, black bile, but there's red wine all over his face. It, 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 he's pulling from stuff, right? You see the DNA from other iterations, but he's taking it and, um, you know, putting it through the centrifuge and kind of condensing it down to what he needs it to be for the story. And I don't know, man, this is the one that I think just works really well. So I was actually going to say that too, that like, for some reason, like bluntly, DeVito's penguin, yeah, is the grossest, but like subtly, this is a disgusting penguin. (laughs) And because of that, because of that, uh, that eating sequence that you just mentioned, like there's just something the way and drawing it in the close panels. And yeah, it is like jumping of close panel of a bird then him just gnawing at a bird then back to the bird and then he's gnawing at it again it's just gross and i don't know it really the mayoral like um aspect of it it's kind of like it's because it connects to everything in the story that i think yeah that that gives him something to do you know like because he's never going to be the physical matchup so he can't go uh fisticuffs with them. So you need to think of some other way that it's going to be interesting. Oh, as the like the number one power position in Gotham. Yeah, that's interesting. And then as we see that he's got, you know, his connections to make everything happen, which is this back to this mean and dark uh, subplot of the birthday boy, which is sacrificing young girls to a serial killer. Like, holy shit. This was, (laughs) this is the John's thing too. Like, you kind of like close the book and look at the cover again. You're like, this is Jeff Johns. And it's not like he's never done anything that is like, you know, a little bit more intense, but the, the predominant threat in this book is a hyper muscular serial killer that murders 15 year old girls in this like highly stylized ritual, ritualistic thematic way and keeps their bodies in the basement of what will become Arkham Asylum, right? Or this version of mm-hmm. Arkham Asylum. And that is so friggin' dark and <laughs> so cruel and so sadistic that I'm like, man, Johns, would you, I mean, like have a Snickers, bro. You're not yourself when you're hungry. So this is what I've kind of always wondered too, in how I would like to be in pitch rooms for movies, TV shows, novels, comics, you name it. As he says, you know, at this point, he's Jeff Johns, so he's just telling them what he's doing. But can you imagine being in there? And they're like, okay, so lay it out for me. He's like, yeah, so Penguin's going to be the mayor. Oh, okay, yeah, we've kind of seen that, but I bet you're doing a twist. Yeah, I got a twist with it. And he's got this serial killer for hire. Oh, okay, yeah, that, that part's a little interesting. Yeah, that's good. And so we're going to kidnap 15-year-old girls to give him to the serial killer. Oh, my God. And then then what? And yeah, and then the serial killer, he's going to kill him with a knife. And he's going to throw their bodies in a basement. All right, that's our story. Holy shit. <laughs> and, and then uh, and then Harvey Bullock gets thrown on top of them and uh um as he's trying to scramble out breaks their already dead body bones and then he my, starts forever like I'm just like what what yes. is going on here? Maybe so, a bit much. Maybe just a bit much, Jeff. I mean, we can we can just talk that's the that's the big final act working toward which I like the angle of uh, Arkham Manor, which used to be Martha's family's manor, and then yeah, some bad stuff happened there. Second. 
what did you think about Martha from being Martha Kane to Mar- Martha Arkham? Did that work for you? It worked for me. I thought it it's, a, it's me. a unique unique way to. Well, everybody knows the Jeremiah Arkham and uh, Amadeus. Yeah, Amadeus. I think Amadeus. Amadeus. Uh, <laughs> we know that. We know that connection in that story and stuff. So yeah, this is a. Uh, if you're looking at it negatively, you could be like, "Oh yeah, I roll whatever." But it's like, eh, it kind of worked for me. Arkham become is so synonymous with Gotham. So yes. is Wayne. Why yes. isn't it the two most powerful families? And Penguin even references that uh, upon his first meeting with Bruce Wayne, which also, of course, it's a Batman story, and so there's a gala that everybody's dressed up at. I Gotta thought that be. was fun, yeah, but. It didn't bother me at all, and I liked the just the quick flashback of because it connects. You get the little nugget of uh, the it, it's a it's a three piece nugget, if you will, of the intro with Bruce and his and Martha talk like first introducing the location. The second one is a flashback where Bruce is a kid, and then Harvey Dent punches him. Uh, interesting, and then lastly, it's like he gets that. Oh, it's it's not blood, it's rust. rust and then you yeah. think of, oh, from the first scene. about, And so it connects and it builds. And so I had no issues. I, I don't remember the exact very first time sitting down reading this, but I know I've never had a problem with Martha Arkham. No, I liked it because I've, it feels like, um, you know, Bruce Wayne is truly, you know, Gotham's golden boy. He is Gotham's son. He is from, he is from the very essence of Gotham city itself. These two families that have built Gotham and, and, and paved Gotham and designed, you know, the, the crooked alleys and the narrow streets and the winding walkways and everything else. Like Bruce Wayne is a product of Gotham itself, which is fitting for him to have this, um, what becomes more of a dark Knight trilogy, uh, mission, this more narrowed focus of, um, saving Gotham from corruption. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that thematically worked really well. And it also starts, you know, subtly, um, thinking about like the neuroses that would have to exist in a person to take on a mission like this and to dress Mm -hmm. the way he does and to sort of, you know, punish himself and, and, and really going back to this being an underskilled Batman to go out largely unprepared without all the gadgets, without, without all the skill sets, without the whole assortment of 127 different uh, martial arts to go and still take on this mission. Like you've got to be crazy. You've got to be a little crazy. And to have his mom be in Arkham um, with a history uh, of mental illness and being an advocate for those with mental illness, it, it has this very kind of subtle backdrop of like, this dude might be a little nuts to do this. Mm-hmm. And that was it, cool. it makes me, it makes me wonder also uh, how many volumes of this story that we will end up getting, because I'm like, are they ever going to return to this and make it the, the Arkham Asylum that we know? Because I just don't see in a story how that could, how that could happen after you know, bad things happened here once, and then now it's the site of of a serial killer and a bunch of dead teenage girls and stuff. It's like, all right, well, let's let's clean it up a little bit. Let's make it an asylum. Like, I don't yeah. see that happening in let's this. Bring in more crazy people. <laughs> what could go wrong? Yeah, yeah it'd be interesting. And, and, and if it ever happened, say it's uh, Batman, your your Earth, Volume Five, 
And at the mm-hmm. end, it's, you know, Bat, you know, Bruce unveiling, you know, this this thing that he's going to turn into um, not the Arkham Asylum we know, but, you know, Arkham, you know, the medical facility for uh, mental health or something, right? To make it a positive mm-hmm. for the dark's past. And now it's being used for something good, you know, maybe. But I too wonder how far they're going to go with this thing. You know, it's been a number of years. So, uh, you know, maybe the, we the, see volume three next year, maybe. Who knows? The last update. So let's see. Um, I was walking on cloud nine because when Doomsday Clock had started up and running in 2018. I think it was. And I Gary Frank had mentioned something and I tweeted him in a response and just kind of said, hey, any updates on Doomsday Clock or not Doomsday Clock, Batman Earth One Volume Three. And he said basically he and Jeff were like three fourths of the way done. So the plan is to finish Doomsday Clock and then finish Volume Three before. And he goes dot dot dot. Nope, I can't say anymore. That was his fun little tease. And then I think there's an article with a quick interview with John's late last year where he said that they were like three fourths of the way done. They're going to finish that. Clearly it's not coming out this year. Like I think they'd have announced it by now. Uh, but I'm just kind of like, man, come on guys, get on it. Like the three years between volume one and two. And now we're sitting at five years since volume two and more than likely it's going to be, you know, another year or so. So I don't know. I hope that we get some kind of conclusion to it. That's off track, but it's kind of like, ah, come on. Come on. So apparently we like it enough that we want to see what's next. What's next? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, for all the talk about it being kind of a mean and ugly book, um, I mean, beautiful. I mean, just really the the artwork is gorgeous. Um, Mm -hmm. But for for all the the talk about, um, you know, the characters being disgusting a number of ways and really going in some disturbing directions, and it's, you know, you don't you don't love Bullock at the beginning, but it's sad to see a man fall apart uh, the way that he does. It, it's got it's got a mean streak to it. Um, but like the storytelling is compelling and it mm-hmm. doesn't it might not hit on all the iconic cylinders that your classic, you know, Batman origin stories tell when they're just telling you know, the more standard version of Batman. This isn't the standard version of Batman. This is a different approach on a different earth, you know, to, to Batman. Um, but the storytelling um, has more than enough, uh, you know, chops to it. Like there's more than enough through lines and callbacks and thematic um, parallels and contrasts that work really well for what it's doing. And the artwork's gorgeous, even if it's depicting ugly things that like you want to read more of it and you want to see how this progresses. And some of that I think is because you want to see if it gets closer to the pin for what you're used to, but also because you're intrigued to see how far away it gets without ceasing to be Batman, you know? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that, that kind of sums up, you know, the book for me in general is that there is, there's, um, these very, very strong things within it. Uh, it's well done. I don't necessarily enjoy it all that much. Um, Mm. and, and there's, there are movies like that, right? There's novels like that. One of my, one of my favorite novels I haven't been able to read through twice. And it's, um, Cormac McCarthy's The Road. Uh, it is, emotionally crippling and horrific and beautiful and um, very well written. And it's just like 
a whole lot. It's not that enjoyable, but it's really good. This is not that. This is more fun than that. Yeah. But it is kind of the same thing where it's like, yep, this is super good. I don't know that I like it as much as other stuff with this character that I might choose to read more, even though I can get this, you know, knock this bad boy out if I feel like reading something Batman and, you know, a little over an hour or something. Yeah. So it almost sounded like that was your closing thought, but I want to ask you, and maybe this is something that kind of confuses me at the end is when Alfred has the shotgun and blows penguin out the window. I don't really understand the points other than like Alfred saying he's, he makes it a point earlier in the story of, you, you know, you need a gun. Because, you know, whatever. And Bruce is like, no. That trope that we know so heavily of the guns, which wasn't always there with Batman, I know. But now with audiences and readers. For decades. decades. That's that's almost like a must. It's like, oh, Batman doesn't do guns. That's like imprinted in their head now of Batman, no guns. And for Alfred to come and save the day and he's got a shotgun and blast him. And then it's just kind of like, that's just kind of it. I'm like, I, I, I'm i not the writer. I don't I, I don't like to approach things and be like, well, they should have done this because it would have been better because I'm not the writer. They didn't hire me to write it. So tough on what it could have, should have, would have been. What we have on the page, he blows them away. And I don't think I like it. No, and it's totally fair because while you're not the writer and no one hired you to write this, um, you know, somebody was hired to write it and it got published. And when that happens, you invite readers to have thoughts and you invite critics to critique. And I think if you look at like a literary criticism approach to this, it's not so much should the writer have made the choice, but what does the choice tell you as the reader? And what do you come away with it as? And whether the writer was aware that they were making this point or not, that's secondary. Um, The point is that the point was made and the point here is a bit muddy because if Batman as a character says no guns and is not going to kill, but the only thing that saves him is another character using a gun and killing. What does that mean about the, the, the mission and the thought process and the ideals that are held by Batman? If Batman can't get it done, without someone else going into the, the morally gray at minimum to save him is the mission, right? You know, are those pathos accurate? And I don't know what it means. You know, I know that, um, I know that uh, Alfred's got a history and he's been to war and he's seen some stuff and probably had to do some things that change a man. Right. But um, Bruce hasn't. I don't want that to change Bruce, but does Bruce come become complicit? Because, you know, I'd like to think the the standard Bruce and Batman that you and I know, what would he do? He'd probably turn Alfred in, right? You just killed somebody. This is there's no indication that this Bruce is going to do that. So I don't know. Is he is he uh, is he okay with that? I don't know. Is there is there some off panel thing where Bruce gives Alfred a lecture about never kill somebody to save me again because I, you know, taking a life's wrong. Uh, I don't know. Is that a realistic way to view the world? I don't know either, but it's certainly telling us something as a reader. And if it's just that this is down and dirty and more violent than you're used to, then it falls short. 
But if, yeah. it's, if it's implying something about the ideals that we're used to not being enough to save the day in this universe, that becomes more interesting to me. I don't know See, if I the like fact it, that we, but it's more the interesting. The fact that we, that we don't know is just a problem. Yeah. Because even right there, yeah. it's kind of like you, you even just right there gave it a multiple choice. Is it this? If it's not that, then is it this? And he didn't land on one like, this is what it is. And I can't tell you what it is. It's like, no, literally he shot him with a gun. And I don't know what that means. And, it, you know, and I'm not trying to read into it too much, but it plays as if like, this is the big moment right before the quick, um, kind of like the quick couple page explanation ending to get out of it, tease to the next book finish. You know, this is the last moment, if you will. And I just, I don't know, kind of, I disagree with it. I don't like it. Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) Broad daylight, Batman. Don't kiss the babies. You can spread germs. Hey, Batman was on it, man. Batman would have been. Adam West Batman would have known better to go around without a mask. He was down with keeping viruses from being spread back in the day. Um, Yeah. And I think it's a fine choice for Alfred to question and push Bruce on the practicality of his sentiment around no killing and no guns. I think that's just fine, especially given the setup we have for this Alfred to have him be the guy that comes in and saves the day with blowing away penguin says something that because it's not paid off later makes me feel like wasn't as well thought out as like, wouldn't this be a cool moment? So a lot of this book, if I'm being honest, a lot of this book, feels like John's doing the I'm going to be a badass this time guys. And won't this be cool? And he doesn't quite have it thought out the way his muscles are used to working. You know what I mean? Yeah. That Alfred moment is definitely like a cool. Right. Eh, not really. <laughs> eh, not really. Uh, it leaves a lasting impression. Yeah. I mean, cool there, I guess. Uh, I mean, briefly, just a name drop. We get Lucius Fox introduction. Basically, he knows who Batman is. He makes the weapons. It's how we know Lucius Fox. He plays. Uh, he gets more screen time in the next book. We get a quick adult version of um, Harvey Dent and is it um, Jessica? Yeah, yeah, Jessica Dent. Jessica Dent's now the mayor. I mean. It's just really quick. They they name drop the birthday boy goes into the Crane Institute. Mm-hmm. Fun so little there's nugget. A, there's a Jonathan out there. That's all their quick wrapping up. And then we get Barbara Gordon. Who, you know what? I'm glad that they at least. Um, what do I want to say? Barbara Gordon seems like the Barbara Gordon that we know. And I'm really glad because I really like Barbara Gordon. And she fared up pretty well against Birthday Boy, which that panel of Batman busting through the wall as the knife is held up and he's got her hair pulled about ready to like stab her neck or something like, I don't know. That one I can almost be, yeah, yeah. You know, even though it's a, it's a freaking drawing, but still it's like, yeah, that, that works. And she's sketching her Batgirl outfit. Hopefully sometime in Earth One, we're going to get that because that'd be cool. Because I, I like, I like Barbara Gordon and Batgirl. I yeah. And she gives you the, what's, what's, excuse me, what's missing in this book is a little bit of this, um, you know, it doesn't need optimism. Yes. The gosh, like gosh, golly, gee, shucks, wide eyed, 
you know, um, full of ideal, isn't this great, you know, youthful kind of like goodwill. Like mm-hmm. she's the only character that really has it. And that's great for Batgirl. It's great for Barbara. Um, and um, I think it's great that it's there. And it's funny because you get the panels towards the end of the book of her sitting in the library and sketching Batgirl, um, either immediately preceding or proceeding um, the conversation about, we can't just build a better Batman. We need to build a legend. And you start to see in Barbara that Batman has started to become a legend, has started to become sort of this thing to, to look up to and idolize and, and find inspiration from. And you haven't, you don't see that Batman up until that point. It's only through Barbara that you get the idea that he could grow to be that Batman. So I thought it was a very nice way to kind of um, tie things up towards the end. And it's not necessarily earned, right? But I think that's a little bit of what he's doing here, Johns. He's sort of giving you, you know, the quote unquote real story behind the legend and then maybe growing that real story into the eventual more similar or more familiar Batman that we, that we're a little bit more familiar with. Yeah. I think that's a good point. That is a good point. And then of course the end, the tease is, is the Riddler, which got me of course really excited and it's a formula that they use in the next volume too. And so it just had me, that got me excited and good. They're hopefully going to continue in some fashion, also, it's a Riddler story. I'm like, I mm-hmm. want more Riddler stories. So uh, that's Batman Earth 1, Volume 1. Now, you're no stranger to the show, so you know I have two follow-up questions. For oh, you. yes. Oh, yeah. Here we go. Do you have a favorite? Not do you. What is your favorite part of this story? Uh, my favorite part. My favorite part of the entire story. You know, I, I'm torn between two. I'm just going to pick one. Because of because of um, the character dynamic, it's not that I love the take on the characters as much as it is the conflict and growth between Bruce and Alfred in this. You're not ready. I'm going to slap you in the face. Yes, I am. I'm going to fight you, and then you know sweep the prosthetic leg, Johnny. And uh, Alfred says, "Well, maybe he does have what it takes." Like that, you don't. I've never seen that ever before between Bruce and Alfred. So uh, I don't know that um, it fits in sort of my typical, here's my favorite part, but it certainly leaves one of the, is one of the most interesting, most unique aspects of this story. And it's drawn really well. Like it's drawn really well Um, from the action to the interactions, to the fights, like it's, kind of visceral and violent. You almost feel the punches land. And then there's just that big splash page of Alfred's prosthetic leg flying. And you're like, Oh my gosh, Bruce went there. So it leaves a huge impression. I thought it was pretty well executed. Yeah. It's a bit of a gasp when you Mm -hmm. feel, Oh, Alfred, he doesn't have both legs. Okay. My favorite part is the Bullock and Gordon at Gordon's house scene that basically where it all comes out of discovering or what has happened, why Gordon acts the way he does. And it culminates in the it's bad cop, bad cop where Bullock yeah. and they go after Axel together because it's just, it's a moment for both of them 
an accomplishment for both of them. Like they've stepped into the new ground in the story now. And I think I just, I really, I really like that. And for, for me, that's also kind of weird that my favorite part in the book is not something that involves Batman. That's strange to me. <laughs> it's almost like yeah, sure. watching a movie that Batman is in and he's not my favorite character. Cough, Justice League cough. So <laughs> like it's that to me is just kind of weird, but um, whatever. So yeah, that's my favorite part. And then what is your favorite panel? My favorite panel is a double page uh, layout of, we mentioned it already, Batman breaking through an interior wall to rescue Barbara from birthday boy who's all flexed out veins popping with a knife in his hand. And um, it's just so Batman. It's so Batman. Mm -hmm. I'm going to bust through this wall. Use my, use my brain to figure out where you are, bust through the wall and take you down. Um, And my, my other favorite part of this shout out uh, Peter Vera. It's the first time in (laughs) this book that I noticed the yellow oval was present and it made me actually flip back a few pages to say, when did this show up and sort mm-hmm. of track it along with the character progression and the skill set progression that this is starting to become a bit more refined of a Batman, uh, a bit more skilled and developed of a Batman. Um, and it, it actually does show up a number of pages earlier, but you don't notice it to the same. At least I didn't to the same level. You've got you know yellow oval Batman busting through a wall to save somebody. That's awesome. Hashtag Team Yellow Oval. You know the it. Hashtag has been resurrected. Pete will be so happy. Well, I'm glad you chose that one because I almost did. And I didn't know if that would be too morbid. So I'm glad you're you're biting that bullet. So there you yeah. go. But I think also just for an image itself, you, there's no dialogue because you don't need dialogue. Like it, it does. If anybody sees that, they know what's going on. It's like, oh, Batman's saving the day. And thank God. Like yeah. that's that's what Batman does. And I think it's drawn. It's. It's effective because as I even mentioned it like earlier in just the knife and how he's pulling her hair back, you know where he's striking and it's just it's chilling. And so, yeah, the uh, the Batman saves the day. My favorite panel that, the, that I went a little further in that is when Batman is reaching down to give Bullock a hand. I think sure. there's something about there's something about that image. I kind of almost wish that there wasn't. If there was no dialogue there, I could save that, save that piece, you know, but I think like the, just the image itself, it, it, it could be without dialogue. Anybody could see it and it would totally make sense too. Batman's coming to help somebody, help somebody up. That's the point of him. And I know that's reading really far into it, but I just think like the image itself on its own, what does it kind of symbolize? That's what it does to me. No, and then also that dark, that dark page in itself as I'm glad that they didn't focus. Let's do a full panel and expose what we all know is down there. It's like, no, we know what's down there. And you get just a few hints aside from the crack of from oh a few pages before. Ooh, it's the worst. Um, and at the bottom of this page is you do see like, okay, in case you're still not understanding what's going on, here's a little bit more to see, but... Yeah, the um, flies were a bit much for me on the bottom of that, yeah. but I, the panel you're, you're talking about, I don't think you're reading in, into it too much at all because there's the backlight of this... Well, it really, from it's coming from the side in this, but if you're if you're Bullock, you've got the backlit uh, Batman coming down. You have this kind of ray of light cascading down the stairway or whatever ramp this is. And he's reaching out with one hand and steadying himself with the grapnel gun in the other. 
and reaching out to, to pull someone out of literally the pits of despair and evil. And um, yeah, yeah. It, it, it is a really well constructed panel. Go both of us. Hallelujah. We picked some good ones. So we really have hey, good taste, don't we? <laughs> we do. Like, I don't Yay know. Us. We're ahead of the game. <laughs> Gay us. Go us. Um, so, yeah, Batman Earth One, Volume One. What are your closing thoughts on this? Man, story? I feel like I, I got to my closing thoughts a lot earlier than than the format mm-hmm. of the podcast should have let me. But I, I my closing thoughts are. This should be in your bat book collection. Um, Mm -hmm. You can get a nice little hardcover version of this for like 16 bucks on Amazon these days, I think. And um, it is a, uh, it is a praiseworthy if frustrating retelling and reimagining of Batman. And, you know, we've had over 80 years of Batman and getting a fresh take on Batman isn't always easy at this point, And this definitely does that. You might not like it uh, as much as other versions, but it's definitely well-crafted. And for that, I'm going to say, you know, go buy this one. If you haven't read it, give it a read. It, it should be on your shelf. I totally agree with that. And I know what I've said and I like it. I don't know how much I don't think I really like it, but maybe a step below that. Uh, because I think it is, it's interesting. If Batman year one, wasn't up against if it wasn't being compared to that i think it could be oh what do you want to say it could be praised a little bit more uh but it's just it's it's trying to almost tell a beginning story when we're so familiar with we've got two batman begins stories if you will batman begins and batman year one that did it really well and both of those i think are more effective than this version but there's a lot to like in this in this book. There's just a couple things that I think really hold it back from excelling to that top tier mark. But like you said, too, I think you should at bare minimum read it. I think it's worthy of um, buying, putting it on the bat shelf, hashtag bat shelf, Peter Vera. And I don't revisit it. And because if nothing else, I mean, at least Gary Frank's art is awesome. So good. The whole thing is awesome. And I didn't even ask you, what do you think of the bat suit? Like, regardless of the, the symbol pre yellow oval and then yellow oval. What do you think of that, of that suit? Dude, I was, I, I was all flexed up and ready to talk about it. Uh, I, <laughs> sort of, I, I sort of mentioned this early on that as we've been learning about the Batman, I think I've seen some, earth one fingerprints on it and mm-hmm. while this is certainly a cloth you know spandexy type bat suit which we're you know it seems like we're certainly not necessarily getting that direct interpretation in the batman um it's this homemade aesthetic and um you know that, that i think that's that's interesting i like it i like the all gray i like my trunks on superman i don't necessarily like them on batman I like a I like a pouchy utility belt. Uh, you get sort of classic bat symbol and yellow oval symbol. Not that that isn't classic. Um, I like it. You know, I'm I am a I am a lens in the cowl guy. Sorry, uh, our dear uh, friend <laughs> Bill Ramey. I am a I am a cowl lens guy. But um, for for what the story is doing with conveying the emotion, I think the eyes are very important. Just like you'll hear hear people say it is in live action. 
so I like it overall. I'm a big fan. You, you do see the stitching in the cowl, like we are. Looks like we're going to get in the Batman. So I, I see some, I see some similarities there, which was which was interesting. And this down and dirty, gritty Gotham kind of street level. This is a street level Batman tale without all the the gizmos and gadgets and without a you know he's got kind of a muscly car, but it's not a Batmobile. Um, there's some similarities there, but particularly to the suit, I, I liked it. It worked for me. Yeah, I I like it. It's definitely it works in the story on um, almost could be a, a starter suit. Yeah, definitely not sure. not the Pattinson like Pattinson suit is not reminiscent of Earth One. <laughs> like it, he seems armored. This is not armored. This is all cloth. The aspect of fear is not present in this story. It doesn't no. seem like that's a motivation. And I definitely don't get that with this, with the suit at all. So you can't, it's hard for me to critique it on that merit when it's like, well, fear isn't an, an angle or something that they're going for in the story. So therefore I can't be like, well, I need to take off some points because it, he doesn't have the scary presence about him per se. It's like, but that's not a goal they're going for. Yeah, you know? the suit, it, you never get the impression that Bruce's intention with this suit is to be a supernatural element of terror. Uh-huh. Like, he's not trying to pass himself off as potentially a, a, a cryptozoic beast or a monster. He's a dude in a suit. Uh, he's a dude in a suit the whole time. Uh-huh. Um, but the... as a dude in a suit, I, I, I thought it was fairly effective. Yeah, and I'm usually live action. Let me see the eyes in comics, uh, cover up the eyes. So the lens, if you will, like that's, that's my preference because that can be effective in the comics. And, but it's Gary Frank's, his, his eyes, the way he draws those eyes, it's magic. It's pure magic. doesn't distract me at all that Batman has eyeballs. No, no, not for this one. Um, okay. Well, woo. I mean, we did it. There you go. See, and you were slightly worried of like, oh, man, I may not be Mr. Minnesota nice here. And I'm like, I'm interested to see because I bet you are you're not going to be mean and come in and be like, this is a piece of shit book. Don't waste your time. Everything is just horrible. It's a disgrace. My childhood is ruined. Yes. Because of Jeff Johns. (laughs) No good Jeff Johns. You know, he's a snake. I hear. I was just going to say that snake, Jeff Johns, like, man, he is, he is terrible. He, he couldn't just stick to comics. He had to ruin live action too. Uh, no, I'm yeah, it was fine. We're, we are allowed to be critical. This is probably the most critical of a book. If that's going to make you feel good that I've done yet for the show. Yeah. You know, I've, I've listened to them all, Ryan, I will let you know. I'm, I'm not just a guest. I'm an avid listener and fan. And I think, you know, to this point, we've all sort of selected stories that we really love and we want to get on and talk about how much we love them. And I prefer that, right? I prefer, I love to love things. I, I, I enjoy enjoying stuff. And uh, typically that's what I want to talk about. But this is a, a well-known book, right? It was a bestseller. It was very highly regarded. I think volume two is actually a bit more highly regarded when it was released. But this is one that people know. It's one that you'll see in bookstores and you're able to buy online. And a lot of mainstream publications wrote reviews for. Um, So I think it is very worthy of discussing. 
when we're looking at the 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 library of the dark knight and if every once in a while you got to chew it up a little bit you got to chew it up a little bit you know what i mean like that's we got to be we got to be honest here brian we need to be true to ourselves that's important that's a batman thing thank you minnesota garrett that that's so insightful so insightful yeah and I, I wouldn't want anybody that comes on the show to be like, well, I hate this book. Let's do that. Let's just dog on it for an hour. Cause I'm like, we both have better uses of our time, That's but there's no problem being, Oh, here's a book that I like, but I do have issues. And like I told you at the top of like, I don't know. I haven't thought so much or even got, I've never gotten to discuss this book actually with anybody. Oh, thanks Garrett. And so that's going to make it a little more clear on where I stand with the book. And, you know, and, it just brings some things to light where I didn't know what they're going for here. And that's okay. Uh, I know I'm just rambling now, but I'm glad that you chose this, this one because it may not be the last time this year that I read it just because there's something about it that hooks me that I'm like, I can read this quick. I'll read this quick. And I reread it. And then I'm like, okay, I need to get uh, volume two. Read that too. Okay. Now we're good. Damn it. Where's volume three. Come on. So I'm glad I'm glad you chose this. I think it was a good discussion. I guess the download numbers will tell us if that's true or not. Um, so yeah, there we go. Before we go, where can people follow you, Garrett? If you would like to talk about uh, Batman or Superman or He-Man, uh, <laughs> maybe many other things that end with man, maybe some things that end with woman, uh, Star Wars, <laughs> you know, maybe see some pictures of my kids. Or uh, talk about fantasy football because that's I'm in, I'm into football, you know, probably just as much as comic books and superheroes. You can uh, interact with me on Twitter. Uh, my handle there is at Garrett Wado, so that is at G A R R E T W A T O, and that would just be real swell. I, I love I love I love having convos with peeps. I think it's fun. I like to abbreviate words that don't need to be abbreviated sometimes. Uh, so you can find me over there. You. Yeah, so your social media account is going to start getting a little more football heavy. Yeah, so there's going to be a football season, don't you think? Yes, I I, th- I think there will be. I think it'll likely be abbreviated. I think we will more than likely not see fans in stadiums at least for a portion of the season. Um, but you know, hey, dudes in costumes beating up on each other—that's the theme of stuff I like, I guess. Exactly. Uh, and it's it's refreshing. I mean, I'm I'm a nerd. I'm a Batman nerd, obviously, but I I do like my sports and I the past 4 years have lived about 3 blocks from Wrigley Field, home of the Chicago Cubs, and I've been most of my life a Cubs fan, so definitely more so passionate for the Cubs since I've moved so close to them. And the year that I moved there is the year they won the World Series. I was say, and, and they so started having some success. Exactly. I'm not saying I'm the reason, but I'm not saying I'm not, but I I have missed the baseball season. So um, that's going to be starting soon. I just, that's my long way of saying like, I miss sports. So it's refreshing when you're the expert on sports (gasps) with NFL. Yes, you are. And say more. Hmm. The NFL. So if for some reason, somebody's like, you know, I don't want to talk about uh, nerd stuff. Hey, this guy's a sports nerd. Let's go. Let's go to the NFL. So that's just my long way of saying follow Garrett on Twitter. Well, thank you, Ryan. That's very kind yeah. of you. Well, yes, I know. I'm very kind. So uh, 
I want to thank you, sir, for being on for the third time. This is not going to be the last time. That's pretty much a guarantee because you're kind of the show's number one fan. So you get this spot. There are the leg gloves are reserved for you and you only. <laughs> leg gloves. That's I'm gonna. Yeah, that's all uh, you. You came up. Thank, hashtag yeah. leg gloves. Get it trending. <laughs> hashtag leg gloves. Yeah. So as I said at the top of the show, just to reiterate, you can follow the Batman Book Club on Twitter at the Batman BC, so I can update you on upcoming episodes when new episodes are released. Uh, I like to try and do a poll, so I'm going to find some kind of interesting question for this book, and I'll I'll place that poll on on the Twitter. You can also follow me on Twitter at flower underscore Ryan flower spelled like lower. And also, if you don't mind, if you can spare just a few seconds, even on Apple podcasts to rate and review the show. If not, if you don't want to write a review, that's fine. You can just go in there and there's, you can go up to five stars, one to five stars, just rate it and be done with it. Cause then it just helps uh, get the word out on the show. And I would like people to listen to the show. And apparently Garrett listens to every episode. He's a true fan. So, for Garrett, I am Ryan. Thanks for listening, and read more Batman comics.